Support for this episode of The Bittersweet Life comes from Expat Focus. Expat Focus, helping expats for over 15 years make the most of their new life abroad. Download your free guide today at expatfocus.com. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we flip from fantasy into reality. How sad is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you said at the end of last week's show, it depends on what the reality is. Sometimes reality is better than fantasy. So somehow we're going to explore that and I was jotting out some notes trying to think of reality versus fantasy. And a lot of my things are not very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Like, for instance, one of the things I wrote, reality. And this has to do with expats repatriating for sure. Okay. Reality is when all the crazy differences that you noticed about your country when you got home vanish again. Does that make sense? Mm, all the crazy difference that you notice is when you were abroad, you mean? No, no, no. Like, remember back when we were doing the repatriation episodes and I was talking about all these strange things about America that struck me? Yes. Like how big the water glasses were. Uh, and, when you came back. And all that stuff. Uh-huh. They don't seem strange anymore. They don't seem strange anymore. Yeah, they're gone. You're used to I, it. I mean, <laughs> it's like, for instance, last night I uh, I had a friend coming over and I had absolutely nothing to offer him to drink when he got here and so i walked up to the local gas station where you can buy beer it was a gas station that was covered in red and yellow little flags to get people's attention as they're driving by and then american flags everywhere (laughs) not to mention all the stuff that convenience stores sell this would have struck me as very strange before and now it's just like yep another ugly building in the United States. Right? <laughs> that was one of the things I noticed about reality is you, you just become the culture that you're from again. Yeah, you, be de- you become desensitized to those differences, which might be nice differences or might be bad differences, but you don't notice them as much. Mm-hmm. For me, when we started talking about uh, doing these episodes, for me, it's the reality of living abroad versus the dream of living abroad. I dreamed of, of moving abroad for so long, and so many people do. And when you arrive, sometimes there's a honeymoon period, and then sometimes the reality set. I mean, it usually does. It it took a long time for me. (laughs) It took like 10 years for me for the reality to set in. But it eventually does set in. It's different for different people. There's always the moments of of the harsh, stark, unpleasant reality. Even even if you're still in your honeymoon period, there's always going to be that, oh my God, I did not think it was going to be like this. I think that being an expat, you have a very, very high sense of fantasy versus reality because you don't know what it's going to be like until you do it, especially if you've like traveled there, you think you know what it's going to be like. Oh, I loved when I went to Paris as a 20-something and now I'm going to move there and it can never be the way that it was as a traveler. It's never going to be. You come up against lots of reality. You're making the case for remaining a traveler rather than actually moving to another country. I would never make that case because I love being an expat and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. 
But yeah, it's never, I tell people a lot, you know, I meet people a lot who are in Rome temporarily and they want to move abroad, they want to move here, or just people who in general want to be an expat. And I never tried to discourage anyone, absolutely not. But you do want to give them a little bit of a reality check because it's not going to be on your bike, whizzing down the cobblestones every single moment. Yes, you'll have those moments, hopefully. You're still going to have to get up for work. You're still going to have to have annoying things happen. Public transportation will probably be part of your life. And then there's a whole slew of other things that you wouldn't have had in your own country, things that are just particular to that place that might be really frustrating. For Italy, it's bureaucracy, you know. Yeah. You have to be aware of that. Again, not that I think that that should change your mind, But you should be aware. Yeah, for sure. You talk about the honeymoon period. And maybe this is just my personality in this. But when I first got to Rome, the year that we moved there, rather than the honeymoon period beginning at once, I don't think it started until a month or two later. When I first got there, it was hard. hard. (laughs) Yeah, Culture shock. It was really hard. I think partly because I didn't have a reason for being there beyond the fact that I came with Derek. And he was in a program and... I had quit a job I really liked and I just, what am I doing here? What am I going to do all year? I mean, obviously over time, my vision in self-absorption expanded and it ended up being an amazing year. But I had more of that moment of culture shock in the sense of, I did not think this through. And I feel sad and out of place and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Uh, That does happen to some people. I mean, I'm not going to say that my first year was the best. (laughs) My first year was probably the worst year I've ever had here. We've talked about that too. I had a lot of calamity (laughs) going on in my life that first year and it was really, really hard. The difference between the two of us is that I really chose to come here. It was a very specific choice and it was something I had dreamed about, whereas yours was a little bit more accidental not accidental but you know what I'm saying but I think either way it's the same situation it's the reality hitting I probably had more expectations coming over actually than you did because I knew Italy more and I had this vision of myself when you plan and dream about anything about doing anything you're you're automatically going to fantasize about it I think I mean maybe there are people who don't but I always picture myself in this new life or this new place whatever it is that I want to do That's actually a really interesting thing we can talk about. Is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? To fantasize? Yeah, about something that you're either trying to do or you're about to do. I think it's a good idea. I don't know if you cannot do it. Uh, Yeah, truthfully. With anything, I think you even apply for a job and you think to yourself, okay, so what if I get that job? If I get a job in New York City, say, and I live in Seattle, what will my life look like there? Now, granted, until your job application is actually done and submitted, the fantasies aren't going to go crazy. Oh, they might. I think it depends on your it depends on your personality. True. But like let's say you get into the final 4, then I don't think you can't help but start not just fantasizing but logistically going, what would need to happen for me to make a move like that? I think that that's also in moving to another country. What am I going to do with all this stuff? How am I going to get a job there? I think that that's more planning and more logistical things you have to work out that are necessary. I'm talking about more actually visualizing yourself in the place, doing it, 
living the life usually with a very positive spin. True. You're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be there. My room is going to look like this. I mean, this is what I was going through as someone who wanted to be an expat. I'm going to live in this place and my room is going to be like this. I'm going to have this kind of a job. This is going to be my daily life. It can get dangerous to do that, but I don't think it's a bad thing. And I touched on this in just one line last week. I said, I'm a fan of getting my hopes up. Yeah. So many people say, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. But I think it's actually a good thing to get your hopes up because I think that if you don't admit to yourself that something could happen, how are you going to make it happen? Well, and why not be excited about the possibilities? Yeah. People say, you know, don't get your hopes up because then you'll be disappointed if it doesn't happen. And you know what? Disappointment is not the end of the world. Disappointment sucks, but it's, I would much rather get my hopes up about something and be disappointed than not believe something is possible and not work at it enough and have it not happen because I didn't make it happen. It's so bold. Well, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's optimism. I'm the type of person who I like will accomplish something that I set out to do. 99% of the time. Okay, not always. There was a big dream in my life that I didn't accomplish of being a professional opera singer. I will put that out there. Yeah, but you certainly worked toward it. I did work toward it, but most other things, and of course, a lot of these things, the things I'm still working on, even small things, like I was working on this very intricate christening blanket for my son when I was pregnant, and... I knit in my spare time. <laughs> I don't knit now because I have no spare time now, but I did when I was nine months pregnant. And I was knitting this very, very complicated blanket and it was very difficult and it was very big and it was boiling hot and the thing is made of wool. And so I've got this like piece of wool, like basically a wool blanket on me. <laughs> hours and hours and hours. And my mother like kept being like, don't worry about it. Don't stress about this. You don't have to do this. And, and I'm like, no, I am going to finish it. I finish things that I start. And I think that that sort of fantasy imagining helps you to do that. I don't think it makes it harder. No, I think that's true. So if you go back to all your fantasies about moving to Rome, my room's going to look like this and I'm going to live in this place. How many of those things would you say actually came true? Did your room look like that? Believe it or not, the room was not that far off. I read a book, I don't know who it was by, but I went through this period in my life when I was sort of dissatisfied with my life shortly before moving to Rome, when I basically was reading a lot of inspirational literature and how to make things happen and that kind of thing, self-help, you know? And I read a book that said, you know, visualize whatever it is you want, like really, really specifically. Write it out or draw it if you can, or just be specific as you can and visualize it. And so I did that with the bedroom that I hoped to live in. And I remember picturing walls that were painted like a bright orangey color and the room was just full of light. Birds on the windowsills, landing on your fingertips. <laughs> yeah, helping me clean, helping me clean, helping me sew. White curtains blowing in the breeze. I was just filling in my own fantasy there, just onto your fantasy. Yeah, well, you <laughs> should. You should write it out since you're looking for an apartment. I didn't get the orange walls. I got like this bright pink wall. And I know most people would be like, that sounds hideous. <laughs> but um, believe it or not, I actually painted the wall myself. Just one wall of my bedroom. It was like literally the color of raspberries, like a textured paint job on this one wall. I didn't even think about it until afterwards. Oh my God, this is so much like the room that I pictured. It was really big. It had this really bright wall. It was full of light, full of color. So I don't know. Maybe I just painted it because subconsciously I had thought about it. But I think it works. 
I'm a real firm believer in put your desires out there, make them as specific as possible, convince yourself that they've already happened, at least subconsciously, and they'll be more likely to happen. Interesting. Okay, I'll try that. Yeah, do it. I'm going to try to manifest some things in my life. Manifesting, that's what it's called. Exactly. Very good. How would you say that in Italian? Manifestare. Yay, not too bad. Well, it comes from Latin, so mano, mano is hand, so it, has, I think it must come from like manufacturers, the same sort of root. It's funny, you might remember that when I was in Rome, that one of the things I did was a book called The Artist Way. Oh yeah, I love that book. Yes, I'm trying to remember the author. Julia Cameron. Julia Cameron, yes. It was suggested to me that I do that, and it's basically a book where you're trying to rediscover and recover the artist within you that has been somehow smothered by your work life or your home life or just all the responsibilities of life so that you can reconnect with this artist inside you and hopefully bring forth new ideas and new creations and get closer to the kind of life that you want to be living. That's what the book is. But it's a lot of writing. It's a lot of work, a ton of work. I was noticing the other day because I kept all the notebooks. One of the things you have to do is write three pages worth of stuff every single morning. And so I kept all those notebooks and the notebooks begin dark blue, dark green, gray. There's a gray one. When you get toward the end of the process, it's bright orange. And then it's hot pink. Whoa, you went to (laughs) hot pink. And it was almost like a magenta color. And truth be told, when I was a kid, my very favorite color in the world was magenta, a purpley pink. It's not too saccharine pink. And over time, you become like a jaded teenager and all this stuff. You're like, oh, God, you magenta. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Give me a break. Oh, I never Um, stopped. I never stopped liking purple and pink. I'm wearing bright pink right now just for the viewers back home. I know you are. It's so true. Um, And I'm wearing black. (laughs) And this is my point. (laughs) This is my point. Something within that process brought out these sort of brighter things. And now I'm back writing in a blue notebook again oh my gosh that is so interesting just a legal pad like see this one i just got like a white it's not even a notebook it's just like a you know something my office gave me for free basically i'm so interested i mean this is totally a side point if anybody's uh an expert on this write us i wonder how your color preferences are connected to your personality type or just the place that you're in in that moment of your life. There is a guy who's going to speak at Town Hall in May. And he wrote a book that's basically about how we develop our preferences. And they're marketing the book in two different versions. One is red and one is blue. So that when you pick the book, you're also choosing which one you'd rather look at. Oh, interesting. So like the very act of buying it in the store tells you something about your choice preferences. Is there a difference in content between the red one and the blue one? No, no. It's just letting you pick which color you prefer. And so then like at some point in the book, it'll reveal that, look at the color of the book you chose. That tells you (laughs) if it's blue, you're depressed. If it's red, you're... No, I don't think it's making judgment on what you pick. I think it's more looking at how do our preferences come about? What is it about my personality that prefers the color blue while your personality might prefer the color red? Not saying that your personality prefers the color red, but... Oh, it does. It does. Really? To blue? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, my gosh, yes. I like red, pink, and orange, really. But mostly red and pink. And then purple, of course. Yeah, what happened to purple? Uh, I'm really 
not that into purple anymore. I was obsessed with purple when I was a teenager, just so you know. I think we mentioned that. Tiffany used to pretty much dress in all purple. Uh, a year. Uh, a year. Every, all purple? I don't think I dressed in all yes, purple. Yes, he did. I have photos. All right. Well, I'll have to see some of those. Pants, shirt, <laughs> headbands. Socks. Socks. Pur- purple's an unusual one because purple is, by definition, the halfway point between red and blue. True. So purple is like the weird color on the block. It can be a very warm color and it can be a dark color too. So, but I'm not a purple person anymore. I much prefer pink and particularly hot pink. You you would have loved this notebook. (laughs) I know. It's so weird. I mean, that's such a like a little girly color, but I can't help it. It's hot in Italy too. I remember people walking around with, I almost bought a hot pink purse while I was there. And I don't even use purses, and I cannot even imagine carrying it here in Seattle. <laughs> I have a hot pink purse, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It just reminds me, I've had this one sweater. I'm sure you've seen it, because one of my sorry secrets is that I really need new clothes, but I really hate shopping for them. So, Oh, me too. Yes, yeah, so I just can't do it. So I've had this one blue sweater for ages, and it's a bright blue Grover if you know the Muppet Grover looking <laughs> sweater. Like I've probably had it for nine years, okay? And the reason I bought it was because I was sitting in this radio studio with this engineer named Ken Vincent. I'll give him a shout out. I was probably wearing what I'm wearing right now, black sweater, gray pants. And he turned around and he just said, you know, just because you live in Seattle doesn't mean you got to dress like you do. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning like everybody in Seattle pretty much wears jeans and fleece and dark colors and kind of matches the gray overcast weather. I think that's sort of just the way we are. Mm-hmm. And so I went online while I was sitting in that studio with him that day and I found this sweater <laughs> and I ordered it just so I could wear it into the studio like the next week with him. And he just turned around and went, whoa, because <laughs> it was so bright. And uh, now I just, I keep that sweater because I guess what it represents but also because I can't bring myself to shop for anything else. So it is the brightest thing I own. But it's still blue. It's still it's blue. It's still only blue. I know, blue. it's still blue. If you'd bought a bright yellow sweater, <laughs> I would have said, way to go. But I have a green skin tone, Tiffany. If I bought yellow, I would look like I was going to throw up. Okay, yellow, no. Yellow, no. But you look beautiful in, like, pale pink because you're dark. So you look really beautiful in pale, pale pink. When are you coming to Seattle again? You, I feel like you like to go shopping, right? You can shop. I hate to shop in Italy. I absolutely hate shopping in Italy. I love shopping in the United States. When I get to the United States, like, I just cannot wait to just spend all my money. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's terrible. So all of you who are like, oh, I want to go to Italy and go shopping. Honestly, don't bother. America has, like... 10 times the amount of stuff. It costs way less. <laughs> I'm not going to say the quality is better because it's probably not, but it's cuter. It's absolutely cuter. Unless you can afford to shop at the high, 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 high end, don't bother shopping in Italy. Shopping in the United States, I always bring an empty suitcase whenever I come to the States and I do like my <laughs> year's worth of shopping there or two years or three years worth if I don't go very often. But yeah, when I come to Seattle, which is going to be soon, what are we talking, May? No, not that soon. Probably September. Hey, that's still pretty soon. That's still pretty soon. I'll take it. We will go shopping. Okay. Yes, we'll go shopping together. We'll t- make a day of it. We can document it on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Me oh, grumbling. Yeah. Trying on blue sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is the thing. It's like, I don't want 
the bold creative me that I discovered in Italy to fade away further and further the longer I don't live overseas anymore. Mm-hmm. The longer I hold a job. <laughs> I still feel like a lot of the things that got unlocked in that year abroad are still unlocked. How do you foster it to keep it that way when you are now back in a grind of the office? I mean, it's the same question you have. How do you still notice the the sparkle and good things of Rome when you're commuting to work and dealing with a child yeah. and cobblestones, you know, with a stroller. It's a nightmare. So how do you keep those discoveries alive? It's hard. And make them into part of your reality, I guess, rather than being like, that's something that happened when I lived overseas. I had all this time to write. <laughs> I liked the color pink back then. That's, I think, what a lot of repatriates like myself fear in going home not only will nobody be able to relate to what you went through, you'll slowly lose everything that you learned. Hmm. It's a tough one, but I definitely think the journaling will help. <laughs> I know. You're a big fan. It's the answer to everything, right? I guess. Yeah. I talked to my dad on the phone last night. He's getting older and he's having some memory issues. And he said to me, how am I going to remember these things? And I said, you need to start journaling, dad. And he was like, you know, that's a great idea. And so I'm hoping that he will actually do it. Journaling's the answer to everything. Of course, I, I don't do it anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, where do Neither you find do the I. time? Where do you oh. find the time? It's a hard one. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely something I'm going to be dealing with, too. I'm heading back to work in less than 10 days, I think. It's officially down to single digits. Ah. I'm really scared. I'm really scared. I'm going to be having a totally different life than I've ever had because I've never worked and had a kid. It's one thing to work and not have a kid, but to work and have a kid. It's like really when you're in work, you're, you're, you're working. And when you're at home, you're still working. And you don't really have the kind of time to sort of stop and smell the proverbial roses. Right. And at the same point, you have all these goals of writing more and... <laughs> uh, Social media. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my to figure out how to promote this podcast on social media. I'm not that good at it. So I'm working on that. Yeah. I don't really know. There's only 24 hours in the day. I really don't know how I'm going to stretch them. It's true. That's reality. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we should probably leave it there. Do you think? Probably. Yeah. I mean, we're going a little bit long, although I feel like this topic really does have more to be explored. Well, I would encourage those of you listening to interact with us about it and to tell us what you think. We can read some comments if we get them at our Facebook page and on Twitter and by email. All of those links are at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. <laughs> you have to think about that for a second, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> you know, it never gets any easier. <laughs> why don't you read, to end on a high note, this sort of re sad reality episode, why don't you read the uh, little blurb that was written up about us recently? And we love this kind of stuff. So this is from a blog called A Merry Feast, Food and Travel Stories. I know that it's a woman named Heather who writes it. And she wrote about the 10 podcasts every Italophile needs in their life. And the thing that's the most flattering about it is that we are number one on her list. Sweet! She didn't number this list, but she started with us. And I'm going to read just part of it. Just for fun, because I was so thrilled to find this. I'm starting with this podcast, she writes, because it's one of the nearest and dearest to my heart. It grabbed me from the first moments of listening to it. Listen to episode one and come along for the ride. There are so many things I love about Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks' stories that they share. 
I love the honesty of their topics, sharing the highs and lows of expat life. And I think she made a little bit of a mistake here, but I'll, I'm going to correct it to Katie. I particularly feel connected to them because as Katie was preparing for her repatriation to America, she wrote Tiffany, but she knows it's me. I was starting my own process to leave Milan and was in complete denial. A totally acceptable state of mind, by the way. Right. That's reality, right, Heather? And then she said her favorite episode. She has so many, but she says her favorite two are the episode number 44 called Morning and episode 64 called Repat. Those are her two favorites. Okay. Thank you, Heather. I should not be the one reading things on this podcast, by the way, because Tiffany's a much better reader than I am, <laughs> except for like when I'm on NPR. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, Heather, for, for writing that. And any of you, if, if you've written something that I haven't noticed, I usually find out about it because it, it pings the Bittersweet Life website. That's how I find out about it. And then I add it to our press section and spread it around. Feel free to highlight it to us if you feel like we haven't noticed, if you've written something. Mm-hmm. And feel free to, if you have a blog and you like the podcast, give us some free press. Hey. Hey, I know. Tiffany, you're so good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> asking for free things. <laughs> oh, thanks. I don't know if that's a compliment. I'm so good at asking for free things. <laughs> <laughs> My mom always said, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's true. If you stay silent, you're not going to get what you want. I'll end with this. I did this entire speech once for a high school program that was about if you don't ask, basically you won't get it. So you might as well ask. And I was telling a story about Garrison Keillor, who is the host of A Prairie Home Companion. Whether or not you know that show, it's a very famous show on NPR in the United States. He let me live with him and go on tour with him for a month, a little more than a month, and live in his giant mansion. I learned so much from all of the people that worked on that show about radio production and how to do a good stage broadcast. All that is to say, one of the days we were driving, I think you might have been taking me to the airport to be done. And I just said, out of curiosity's sake, why did you let me do this? I was just some producer and it was a lot of work for him (laughs) to have me around. And he just said, you were the only person who ever asked me. Look at that. And every time somebody hears about that experience, they're just like, wow, I would just die to do something like that. And when you think about that, I was the only person who ever asked. Wow. It's a really good lesson. Yeah, maybe we just assume that the answer is no. Wow, that was my moment of wisdom for the day, so I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) Do you you have anything, uh, any moment of wisdom you want to end with, Tiffany? Um, Not this week. Not this week. I don't have enough uh, wisdom right now. (laughs) I'm saving saving it all up. Okay, we'll save it for next week. And until that time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you next week. Bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com. Thanks to Expat Focus for sponsoring this episode of The Bittersweet Life. Expat Focus helping expats for over 15 years make the most of their new life abroad. Download your free guide today at expatfocus.com.